Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, the travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here with another Ion Travel podcast. On this edition, my conversations with Gary Kelly, the chairman and CEO of Southwest Airlines, on the state of his company and air travel moving forward. Not just when, but perhaps most important, how. And then we'll hop to the Caribbean and the state of affairs in a region where the economy is driven by travel and tourism. I'll talk with Jamaica's Minister of Tourism, Edmund Bartlett, about how long these island nations can survive in the absence of airline flights and visitors. First up, Gary Kelly. Joining me now, someone I've known for a long time, who's uh, run a very successful airline, one of the, probably the most successful airlines over the last, you know, since it started in the United States. In fact, they're the largest uh, carrier of domestic passengers in the United States, Southwest Airlines. His name, the chairman and CEO, Gary Kelly. How are you, Gary? Peter, it's great to be with you. We're uh, we're hanging in there, so uh, we're looking forward to celebrating 50 years next year. So uh, we're our, our folks are doing a great job. But thanks for asking. And speaking of a, of a great job, you know, try to put this in some kind of historical perspective. Uh, you and I have certainly survived 9/11, the recession in 2008, even the uh, you guys indirectly the volcano meltdown in 2010 in Iceland, and and now this. You you've said that this is actually worse than 9/11. Yeah, 9-11 was uh, terrifying, you know, of course, in so many ways. Uh, but uh, yeah, this is far worse. Um, and and this will uh, take much longer, I think, to recover, not, you know, not just obviously for the uh, travel industry, but for the for the country and the world. So uh, it, it's bad. You know, our, our business is off 90 percent. And uh, except for a couple of days after 9-11, when the industry was shut down, we didn't see anything like that. Um, and we're two months in, so uh, yeah, this is this is the worst ever, I think, by far. Well, obviously, a ninety percent drop is not financially sustainable. You're in the same in the same position as just about every other sector in the travel industry, with you know millions of jobs affected, um, GDP affected in countries. I mean, I guess this is probably after nine eleven, 
the first time the world has actually seen the, 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 the true economic power or the impact, I should say, of travel tourism and the aviation industry. Oh, without a doubt. And, you know, the, the good news is the, 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 the world in our country, our industry, Southwest, everything was, if not strong, reasonably strong coming into this. So pretty well prepared. And, um, you know, it's, it's definitely a body blow, but there's just so many jobs, tens of millions of jobs that are associated with travel and tourism around the world. So it's important not to mention aerospace uh, that supports travel. And, um, you know, people want to travel. They want to travel for a variety of reasons, uh, certainly for business and, uh, and certainly for, for, for leisure reasons. But uh, nothing like this in, in our lifetime, for sure. I mean, the intense optics for someone like me to see those, those aerial pictures of, uh, of planes parked on unused runways, wingtip to wingtip, nose to tail, uh, your, your airline as well. I mean, part of what you had to prepare for was not really preparable, right? All of a sudden, almost overnight, the, the switch was turned off and you had to, you had to park planes. You know, I think all, all good companies are prepared for the unexpected. Um, and I've just marveled at how our people have responded here. But uh, absolutely, we've had to make radical changes uh, beginning in March uh, to reduce the flying, uh, to, you know, uh, as best we can align the seats offered every day to the uh, demand, which, uh, again, our, our business is off 90%. So we're, we're uh, about 750 airplanes in our fleet and close to 400 are parked. Um, in one form of uh, storage or another, and uh, that that in and of itself, is, as you point out, is a real feat uh, just to do that. So again, my hat's off to our people for pulling that off. But uh, the, you know, the big question, of course, is how long do we uh, manage this way, and when does demand start to come back? And I think a lot of that has to do with when are therapeutics available, when is a vaccine going to be available, when are when are uh, uh, people comfortable in getting back, uh, you know, to their daily lives. I think that will happen. Uh, in fact, I, I'm very confident that'll happen. It's just a matter of how long will it take. You know, just getting back to the parked planes for a second, we've seen Delta Airlines say, okay, we're going to not only park our planes, but we're probably going to retire a certain fleet of MD-88s and MD-90s, uh, American with their 757s and 767s and putting their A330s in storage. You've always had the benefit of only flying one aircraft type, the 737. So are you going to retire any planes? Peter, you know, we'd already planned to retire uh, several dozen airplanes this year and next year anyway. And uh, so the answer is yes. Uh, and that's basically uh, based on the age uh, of the aircraft. Uh, so we'll, we'll uh, have already planned to retire our oldest aircraft. And uh, right now we're looking at retiring more aircraft and we're also working with the Boeing company uh, about a revised uh, delivery schedule with new airplanes. Right now obviously we don't need any more airplanes, we need less airplanes. So uh, all that is uh, in the works. Um, we're definitely planning for a smaller airline uh, here in the near term, uh, but uh, if we can avoid making a radical change to the airline just to see uh, when, uh, you know, if and when things will rebound, uh, we're, we're going to try our best to do that. You, know, you mentioned, uh, you know, being a smaller airline and, 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 you know, redoing your deal with Boeing on deliveries. 
earlier this week, the chairman of Boeing said he fully expected that one of the major U.S. airlines would not survive this. Uh, you're one of them uh, of the four. Uh, do you agree with that assessment? Well, um, it's all speculation at this point. I mean, obviously, things can't continue at this level. No, no business uh, can survive in, in, its, in its current form, whether it's an airline or anything else, uh, losing 90% of its business. Um, and then, as usual, you've got strong companies, you've got weak companies, and, uh, you know, there. I don't, I don't think it's so outrageous to predict that there could be uh, consolidation in uh, all kinds of industries uh, because of this. But, uh, you know, obviously all that remains to be seen. You know, uh, as you try to figure out how you're going to come back, and you said as a smaller airline, and every other airline has basically said the same thing, uh, Will there be routes that get dropped? The DOT, the DOT, of course, in terms of the uh, the airline bailout, basically initially was saying you had to continue to fly all the routes you were flying. Now they're beginning to give some waivers on to airlines dropping routes that were, were getting no passengers or maybe two passengers a flight. Um, you know, you've always been an airline that really picks your routes carefully. Um, you know, you, you you probably survived as long as you did and succeeded as long as you did because you weren't rapidly expanding routes. You were maybe adding one or two every year, maybe. Uh, how many are you going to drop now? You know, I think the answer to a lot of your questions will be we'll, we'll want to wait and see. Um, and and that, that one definitely falls in that category. So far, um, we have a route system with 103 destinations. And uh, except for 14 international destinations, which we've temporarily suspended service uh, to, for all the obvious reasons, uh, we're, we're serving all of our uh, domestic uh, destinations. So at this point, Peter, we don't have any plans to close any uh, locations or cut any nonstop routes. Now, our route planning, of course, is ever-changing and ever-evolving, so I, there's no question that we'll have changes to our route system. But at least for the time being, even though we've significantly reduced our flying in April and May, our, our May schedule is down 65 to 70 percent every week. We've tried to maintain all of our itineraries that we had before. Uh, so that doesn't mean that we have all the same nonstops, but at least on a one-stop basis, we can still get you from point A to point B. As to you know, six months, 12 months, 18 months from now, it's just too early to make that assessment. But again, the, the bottom line is we haven't decided today uh, that we're going to make any radical restructuring. We're going to wait and see uh, what the demand recovery looks like, and uh, we'll wait and see what our competitors do. You know, then there's the route that you always wanted to fly to, and then you did, Hawaii. Uh, that's a very interesting you know, test case, if you will, of when does Hawaii come back, because they're essentially you know, a state of islands that have always tried to protect their borders from invasive species of plants and animals. The new invasive species are us. Um, and, you know, everybody's looking for a guarantee to make sure that, you know, nobody's frothing at the mouth or glowing in the dark when they arrive at a destination. So are you watching Hawaii carefully? Because that's a market you always wanted. We, we are, Peter. And, um, you know, the demand, even now, to travel to Hawaii, we, we sense is pretty darn strong. So I think a lot of it is exactly what you said, which is how open will Hawaii be and how cautious will they be in terms of uh, allowing uh, travel and tourism. Um, but 
as I said earlier, you know, we don't have any plans to uh, drop any service to any of our service points. And certainly, uh, we've been delighted with the, uh, uh, the initial response that we've seen with our launch to Hawaii last year. And uh, we're definitely going to stick with that. You know, I, I agree with you, Gary. We were talking about this in the last segment. You know, we, our cultural DNA is not that we want to travel. We need to travel. It's something that, uh, imagine my situation. I've, I've spent the most amount of time in one place now since I'm 17 years of age. And I mean, I can't wait to get out, uh, but, I, but I'm not alone. So it's not really a question I think of, of when we're going to get back or whether we're going to get back or where we're going to go. It's really how we're going to do it. So how are you adjusting to the, to the, the new normal, if you will, of, of how your flights are going to operate? Uh, not where they're going to go, but what is a Southwest flight going to look like in terms of even your scheduling? Because I know that you guys, you, know, you perfected the art of turning planes in under 30 minutes uh, for all the right reasons. Can you turn planes in under 30 minutes going forward when everybody's expecting that the plane they're going to get on is going to you know, be thoroughly clean, double and triple clean? Well, I think we can. And of course, for, right, for, the, for the time being, um, at, a, at a minimum, we have new temporary procedures that are that are necessary uh, and they're precautionary but uh, I, I think if you project out five years we've got vaccines uh, people are back to normal it's sort of the Spanish flu of 1918 followed by the roaring 20s which you know I'm cheering that uh, analogy on here uh, for the <laughs> for this century yeah I will ab- absolutely be dancing I'll be old then but uh, I'll still be dancing but uh, you know I think uh, we'll want to certainly maintain all the cleaning procedures. And the nice thing is we had already uh, planned for enhancements to uh, automate a lot of steps during our turn at the airport, uh, which will help mitigate any additional time that we might need for cleaning, spraying, wipe downs, whatever it might be uh, between the turns. Uh, certainly for the time being, uh, we're, we're taking every precaution uh, to make sure that the airport and the airplanes are cleaned between turns. Uh, nightly, there's a deep cleaning process. Uh, and then once a month, we use uh, an electrostatic antimicrobial spray to uh, adhere to surfaces and kill the virus for up to 30 days. So there's a, a number of things that are being done today, and I suspect a lot of those will continue to do in the future. Of course, in terms of the overall passenger experience before they even get to one of your planes, there's the idea of a, a sort of a review and a, de- a redefinition of passenger screening, uh, temperature checks uh, in the world of social distancing, and of course, the physical space at airports to be able to accommodate that. Um, if I have to maintain a six-foot distance between me and the person behind me, and then they're doing temperature checks, what does that do to the check-in process? And physically, are there airports that can handle the lines? How do you, you know, and right now, that it's sort of like up in the air as so to who's going to do those checks. Uh, I know that the, the government wanted the CDC to do it. They said no. The airlines want the TSA to do it. They haven't responded yet. Where do you see this going? Well, I think you made a number of points there, uh, just sort of taking them into reverse or in reverse. So you, you show up at the airport, and I think it makes perfect sense uh, for the uh, screening process to be prepared to do health screening. And hopefully this is the only pandemic uh, for this generation and the next one. Uh, but we certainly need to be better prepared for that uh, in the future. So I, uh, it's a logical uh, duty in my mind and uh, in the trade association's mind to have uh, the TSA perform that. They're screening uh, for safety, and uh, clearly uh, th- this is a safety uh, uh, issue. 
so I would I would be a strong advocate for that. As for the physical distancing, I think that that's going to be temporary. I think you know when we get when we get back to quote normal and people are comfortable that if they get sick there will be a medicine to treat them, uh, and then on top of that you'll have a vaccine. Uh, I think it just becomes like the seasonal flu, and, and we get back to normal. I have to believe that uh, the the things that, that we've learned as a society about hygiene, uh, including some of the physical distancing, I bet a lot of that will stick naturally. Uh, hand washing, hand sanitizers, all those things I think will continue uh, into the future. Getting on the airplane, I think, is the key. And uh, for now, uh, we won't book the airplane full. So uh, it's more of a virtual. So virtually, every middle seat will be open uh, at least for the, through June the 30th is, is what we've committed to so far. And, of course, the loads are very light right now. Our load factor is only, on average, about 20%. So that's uh, quite easy to accomplish. But that, you know, if we continue that into the future, that just drives the cost of air travel up significantly, as you know. Uh, so it, at some point, it's my feeling that we get back to normal and we have, on average, 85% load factors again. Uh, but not until people are comfortable with that and uh, uh, not until, again, we have uh, therapeutics uh, especially. Yeah, because when we talk about social distancing, getting rid of the center seat doesn't give me six feet between passengers, Not nor does it give me six feet between passengers for the people sitting behind me. So at this point, it's it's as you said, it's relatively easy not to book the center seat when your load factors are about 20%. But going down the road, you do not see Southwest Airlines yanking that center seat off the plane. Absolutely not. I, and I don't, and again, I don't think that the traveling public would, would advocate for that because of the cost uh, effect of that. Because airlines wouldn't exist uh, if if they couldn't add that center seat uh, into the future. So this is all a temporary measure. But back to your point about the physical distancing on the airplane, that's why this has to be a multi-layered attack, a multi-layered approach. That's why you do need the health screening uh, at the checkpoint. The center seat is essentially here to stay, but other practices are probably also here to stay for a while, like masks, temperature screenings, both getting on the plane or before you get on the plane, and when you land. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and again, I, I I don't know if they're here to stay, uh, in, in, quote, permanently, uh, but certainly for the near future. Um, I, I think people will, uh, I think the majority of people will want to continue wearing masks for quite some time, again, until they're comfortable that this past pandemic is behind us. Uh, and that's, it's just a helpful uh, aspect. The uh, hand sanitizers, all the wipe downs, uh, and just carrying wipes uh, w- with your uh, personal belongings, all those things I think will continue to be important. And you, you, you physically distance where you can, and uh, where you can't, again, you just make sure you have these extra precautions in place to help mitigate. The other thing I think that's important about air travel, and you're very familiar with this, is airplanes are equipped with uh, HEPA filters, and that's hospital-grade quality air, and it's circulated frequently on the aircraft, so that is an additional uh, assist uh, in a situation like that. It clears out 99.97% of particles, including pathogens in the air, Uh, so it, it is a very clean, very safe environment. Uh, Obviously, you have to couple that with the fact that you have a lot of people on board. So uh, that's why we have to have a multi-layered approach. Exactly. Now, right now, I don't think there's there's an airline out there that's not requiring both passengers and flight crew wear masks. 
Uh, what happens if I get to the airport and I get to your gate and, and I'm not wearing a mask and I don't have one? Well, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, we'll have plenty of hand sanitizers. We'll have wipes uh, to, that you could use in your personal space on the airplane. And we'll have a mask. Uh, what we're finding is that the vast majority of customers showing up, I'm going to say 90% of customers showing up, uh, have masks. But uh, if they don't, we'll give them one. Now, one of the things that has come across during all of this, and my email inbox has been flooded with complaints by so many passengers and travelers uh, of going into this, trying to get refunds back from airlines, hotels, tour operators, cruise lines. Your policies were in, were in place way before this that if I couldn't take the plane, I couldn't catch the flight, as long as I got in touch with Southwest before the actual plane departed, you would automatically deposit my money that I spent in the for the air, original airline ticket into my own account, which I could then use again. I'm assuming you're, you're not getting as many complaints from consumers as the other airlines. That's right. Uh, you know, we've always had a very consumer-oriented, customer-friendly uh, approach to life, and, uh, and, and certainly it, that applies there. First of all, as you know, we've never charged a change fee, uh, so that if you don't take your flight, all that money is good. Uh, we, we refund when we cancel the flight. Uh, and as you know, you know, the only way that we can afford to offer deeply discounted fares uh, is to have some restrictions like uh, not refundable but fully reusable. So the one thing that we've done, understanding that a lot of people aren't flying right now, is we've extended the time that the funds are valid all the way through September of 2022. Uh, so that's that store credit will be available and, and be good. And uh, obviously we're we're hoping that people will start flying again once they get comfortable. And you just said the interesting point, Gary, that if you if you cancel the flight, you refund it. Other airlines are not doing that. Uh, even though there's a DOT rule in place that says they must. It'll be interesting to see what happens when all this is said and done, because I'm dealing with a lot of angry people right now who are really, well, I'll, I'll just say it, pissed off, because they're saying in their situation, you know, I can't use a voucher to pay rent. So what do you say to the other airlines? Well, yeah, to, to be honest with you, this is a contrast that we've always welcomed. You know, again, we, we're, we're, we've we we been a maverick. Uh, Herb Kelleher was a maverick. Southwest to this day is is different and in a great way. So I'm, I'm proud of what our people do. They, they're very hospitable. Um, year in, year out, Southwest Airlines is ranked uh, number one in terms of uh, DOT customer satisfaction. And I think this is just one example of why. We're all, all airlines are suffering right now. And th th this situation isn't anything that our customers or the airlines brought on. Uh, we're just trying to deal with it as best best they can, or as best we can uh, at Southwest uh, for sure. But um, it's a tough economic environment for for everybody, and you know, for Southwest, we've been we freely admitted, you know, that for the month of April, as an example, that we were going to burn through uh, almost a billion dollars. You know, so it, all of all of this has to be managed very carefully because we our goal is to thrive, but uh, the imperative right now is we've just got to make sure that we survive. Gary Kelly, the chairman and CEO of Southwest Airlines. My thanks to Gary Kelly. And now we'll head to the Caribbean and the island of Jamaica, a country like many Caribbean countries that's been economically devastated by COVID-19. My next guest is an old friend. We've traveled the world together when he's not in his home country of Jamaica. He's actually the Minister of Tourism of Jamaica, Edmund Bartlett. Mr. Minister, welcome. Thank you very much, Peter. And um, 
a very pleasant evening uh, to all listeners in the great United States and the rest of the world. Well, you know, this is a, a, a tough time for everybody, but can't be any tougher than for the islands of the Caribbean, because when you think about it, almost every island there, if not every island, is a tourism-based economy. Uh, every island essentially is closed right now. There's no airlift. Uh, there are either quarantine procedures in place or they, you just can't get in. So you've seen in every single island in the Caribbean a revenue stream almost overnight go from a few billion dollars down to zero. Wow, and that is the reality of our experience, Peter. And, you know, it's painful. And, and I recall the shock and horror on my own face when I saw for the first time, I believe in our history, um, or certainly since tourism is a feature of our economy, that there was zero arrivals at the airport and zero dollar flow from any port for tourism purposes. And believe me, it, it immediately brings to mind the fact that the economies of the Caribbean that are hugely influenced by tourism, uh, the, the, the fact that the employment of the Caribbean is easily um, 20 to 25% of, 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 of all the working people being employed in tourism. And it varies from, from country to country, as you know, but that is on average. In our case in Jamaica, uh, nearly one-fifth of all the employed persons here are related directly to tourism. And then another, um, you know, 10 or so percent uh, are added from induced and or um, indirect employment to tourism. So when you consider that you're looking down the tube of some 60 percent of your foreign exchange disappearing, if if the industry doesn't come back, and you're seeing that kind of job fallout, you're beginning to look at the possibilities of, of um, social disorder and, um, and, and, a, and a condition that would be inimical to, to, to the interests of not just the region, but the entire Americas. You're right. You know, when you think about it, there are about 93 countries in the world that owe their existence to travel and tourism in terms of their GDP. And, you know, it doesn't take a, a, a genius to connect the dots to realize that when somebody arrives and spends money, that gets to the point of allowing somebody to put food on the table of their family that night. And yes. when you can't do that, governments can either be destabilized or collapsed and you could have civil unrest in, in a record amount of time. And that's a, that's a concern that I have right now looking around the world because, you know, as opposed to the United States, which may go back to the central bank and print about $6 trillion worth of additional dollar bills, that doesn't really happen in most places in the world. You're right. And, um, and we see it everywhere that we have been talking. And I have been talking, as you know, both of us have been all over the world at different places. And um, the contacts with those people are still very active. Even today, we were talking to 100 countries from here in Jamaica on uh, COVID security measures that we want to introduce and also the creation of a COVID-free zone, uh, as well as to look at a new demographic that is emerging now called Generation C, that is Generation COVID, 
that um, are going to respond to all these new protocols that have to be introduced in destinations in order, firstly, for people to decide where to go, and secondly, for them to have an experience that is going to be safe and secure and seamless. So exactly. it's a whole new it's a whole new ball game, um, Peter, and it is going to challenge uh, uh, the small countries in particular to lay out a new uh, investment portfolio to deal with the hardware and software required to manage um, this new process. Uh, well, let me ask you, airport. Oh, yeah, but let me ask you this. I mean, walk me through what you're thinking now. Uh, if When I come back to Montego Bay and my plane lands there, how is my experience going to be different, assuming Jamaica wants to let me in? Well, no, we will have to let you in because um, two things that has to be borne in mind. One, that there is no um, vaccine yet for uh, the virus. Therefore, we have to learn to live with the virus. So in the short run, it will be a COVID, a living with COVID experience. And that now requires a whole new range of protocols. How the airports are going to look uh, will be influenced largely by health uh, security arrangements, uh, making sure that there are dispensers, making sure that there are sanitizers, making sure that there are gadgets that can fumigate and create um, safe environment for you to walk through as a guest that comes in. Then we have to probably have testing mechanisms to ensure that those who are coming into our ports are coming uh, COVID-free and are not asymptomatic. Uh, and then, of course, there are going to have to be facilities to deal with sanitizing of luggages and to deal with um, a whole range of other touch points that would be um, uh, conducive to the spread of, of the virus. So we will have to make sure that we are constantly cleaning and making sure that all our areas are free from the virus and droplets that may come in. So this is a brand new ball game for all of us, not just Jamaica, but all over the world. And I think that a lot of us as planners and administrators in tourism are seized with finding new ways and new ideas oh, sure. are flowing as to how we're going to innovate and to cause tourism and travel to happen, happen seamlessly, happen safely, and protecting destinations. Well, let me ask you this, Edmund. You know, let's say I get through the airport, my luggage is scanned, I'm scanned, my temperature's taken, now I'm going to a hotel. It could be one of the all-inclusive hotels, it could be one of your upscale resorts. That experience has got to be changed because I'm assuming based on the concept of what hospitality used to be, right, a social gathering, people interacting and having shared experiences now in the in the era of social distancing how many people can be in the pool at any one time what happens to the buffet what happens to the dining experience all of those things that we used to just take for granted and do may have to be redefined absolutely and now that also will call for a new mindset because it's now a new way of appreciating the wonderful experiences that you seek and spend so much for traveling so many miles um, so what are the new experiences now? The new experiences are going to be health-driven. The, the visitor is now going to be judging uh, destinations on the basis of how COVID-secure they are and, uh, and, and how um, uh, secure they are in their own minds that when we come here, we are going to have the time of our life, yes, but we are going to be healthy and safe afterwards. You know, and, I and remember – I'm sorry. Go ahead, Edmund. 
No, and I think that this is the challenge that all um, of us in the industry are facing, and it comes with a cost. And so we have to look at how are we going to ensure that all players are going to be able to, to, to have the inclusiveness that tourism boasts over time, and how all players will have an opportunity to become uh, tapped into the value chain of tourism and continue to earn and make a living for themselves and their families. Uh, the small hotels, the, the, the um, Airbnb types, if you will, just for use of a reference for the sharing economy here. Um, the, the community tourism types, where the demand for the higher levels of protocols are going to be exacting, but there's a cost because you now yeah. have to deal with what I call the COVID security equipment that has to be bought sure. and placed and utilized. You know, from then an there's the question of training and retraining yeah. The players and the and the and the and the partners in the industry, so that they become not just conversant with the protocols, but have the ability to manipulate these new gadgetries that are going yep. to come about. And my thanks to Minister Bartlett and to Southwest CEO Gary Kelly for joining me. And thank you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more interviews with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Ion Travel podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to listen. You can also go to petergreenberg.com for the latest in travel news updates. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, starting May 8th, wherever you get your podcasts. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.